Since his early stages, the young Heidegger embraced with fervor the Husserlian phenomenological method, at least the one contained in the Logische Untersuchungen. Although he immediately kept his distance from it, introducing a new way of doing phenomenology. The phenomenological project that arises from his early works is called Ursprungswissenschaft. But where can we find the seeds of this science? Usually, those can be identified in the course of the Kriegsnot Semester 1919, in 1919. The aim of my speech is to show that the seeds of the Heideggerian phenomenology lie in his postdoctoral dissertation Die Kategorien und Bedeutungslehre des Dunskodus, Dunskodus, Theory of the Categories and of Meaning, written in 1915 and published in 1916, with the addition of the conclusion. This discovery could reveal what the meaning of the Heidegger's appropriation of the phenomenological method is, namely the interpretation of the phenomenology as the science of the origin or the philosophy of the living, of the living mind. Young Heidegger's main question is expressed by the letter of the 5th of March 1916 to his future wife, Elfriede Petri, and uh, text number one. We must not give our young heroes stones instead of bread when they come back hungry from the battlefield. Not unreal and dead categories, not shadowy forms and bloodless compartments in which to keep a life grounded down by neat and tidy rationalism a legend molder away. In other words, how is it possible to develop the question of the categories, namely the question of being, in order to make it essential for the historically living mind? What's the field that connects the question of the categories to the historically living subjectivity? The question comes out in the conclusion two. Text number two. History and its cultural, philosophical, teleological meaning must become an element that determinates the meaning of the problem of the categories if we have the desire to elaborate the cosmos of the categories in order to overcome their inadequate and schematic table. We know that the proposal made by Heidegger in his postdoctoral dissertation is to find uh, this field in language, in the sphere of meaning, as it emerges from the speculative grammar by Thomas von Erfurt. In order to reach this aim, Heidegger starts a movement that permeates the Habilitationsschrift. Um, this movement can be described, described by um, using the figures of the circle and the origin. Indeed, with the image of the circle, Heidegger will characterize the typical form of thinking of logic, while, as we said, he will call his personal appropriation of the phenomenological method Wissenschaft, so science of the origin. But, as everybody knows, the circle is defined by the equidistance of its points from the origin of the circumference. So, overcoming the circle or thinking of logic doesn't mean leaving the theoretical dimension of thought, but instead discovering its deeper source. Text number three. Logic and its problems generally cannot be seen in their true light if the relationship between, um, through which they gain meaning does not become translogical. translogical. Philosophy cannot avoid, in the long run, its proper optic, metaphysics. The general movement of the work has a double development through which three different meanings of being are established and they produce a layering uh, of the fields of experience. The first movement of the postdoctoral dissertation 
is developed in the first two chapters of the work, and it starts from the exclusion of the Aristotelian scholastic metaphysics from the question of the categories in favor of the immanence of the subjectivity in the judgment. In these two chapters, Heidegger displays the theory of the categories as shown in the logical and metaphysical works of Don Scotus, in its relationship with the Neo-Kantian's thought and the philosophy of Emil Lask. The overcoming of the Aristotelian approach to the question of the categories finds its reason in the Neo-Kantian theoretical point of view. The question of the categories has to be thought in its deep connection with the subjectivity. That's the reason why Heidegger looks at the logical and metaphysical setting of Duns Scotus instead of the Aristotelian Thomistic tradition and analyzes in the first chapter the concept, the concept of ends. The concept of ends expresses what shows itself to us, the primum objectum intellectus. What immediately appears to us isn't something defined like uh, substance or accident, but it's just something not yet fixed, a liquid indifference. So before the mind can apply a fixed category uh, to the term being, a more fundamental first notion of being is required, namely the one that is the indifferent, univocal, transcendental meaning of Scottian ends. Thus, if we want to overcome the Aristotelian setting of the categories, which is based on the analog notion of substance, we have to think the univocal meaning of being in a transcendental way. This transcendental ends is conceived by Don Scotus in a decreased meaning that expresses the only determination of logical possibility, its intentional relationship uh, with the subject of knowledge. Thus, that first movement of the Habilitationsschrift produces two different meanings of being, of being. On the one hand, for the Aristotelian scholastic metaphysics, to be used in an analog meaning means that things actually exist and they are unrelated and independent from the experience of the subject. In other words, things uh, have a transcendent existence beyond the experience of the subject. On the other end, the univocal notion of ends allows to express that being that is intentionally first for subjectivity. So while the first meaning excludes the subjectivity, the second one directly involves subjectivity because it expresses the intentional field that is shown through it. Now this concept of ends is connected by Heidegger to the Neo-Kantian theoretical setting. And text number five. The object is a true object in regard to cognition. Insofar as the object is an object of, of cognition, it can be called true object. Transcendental philosophy, namely Neo-Kantism, has found the most precise expression for this relationship. The object is only an object as object of, of cognition. Cognition is only cognition as cognition of the object. There is no object without a subject and vice versa. From an Kantian point of view, I know something about the world only through judgments. But in the judgment, the verb to be works like a copula, a link between the subject and the predicate. So it not only expresses a thing that is merely there, but uh, that actually exists, but also the state of affairs. This different use of the term to be is called by Neo-Kantian to be valid, gilten. Therefore, 
with, the, with this first movement, the meaning of being is radically transformed, changing from being that actually exists to being that is valid, guilt, of the copula in a judgment. This transformation shows the intentional structure of the experience of the world that the subject has. The being of the world is never unrelated to the subjectivity, but always correlated to it. But it is precisely this breakthrough that, uh, that requires a criticism of the Neo-Kantian's point of view, in order to understand and to justify the nature of the relation between the subject and the object of knowledge. Indeed, Heidegger identifies through the notion of intentionality the structure of the logical domain. The Neo-Kantian category, Gilten, actually doesn't characterize enough uh, the particularity of this domain of objects. The intentional object uh, isn't valid in itself, but it's always valid for something that is very different from something that actually exists. This discovery of the intentional structure uh, of the sphere of logic allows to understand that the domain of logic isn't an absolute sphere, finished and complete in itself but it requires a deeper field in which it is grounded. For this reason, the second movement or counter move of the Habilitationsschrift shows the intentional disposition of the logical setting, enlightening the material principle that determines logical forms, the categories of meaning that wave the sphere of language. It is at this level that the young Heidegger um, already allows the origin of the logic to emerge from a more fundamental field, that is language, in which being neither it's a is nor it is valid, but it means. The third chapter begins with the answer to an unspoken question. Where can we find logical forms in our own experience? A property of this construct, sense and logical forms, has been intentionally left out of consideration until now, namely the fact that meaning and sense are related to words and word complexes, sentences. So if we are searching for the material determination of logical forms, we can only look at the field of language. Defining the intentional structure of language means to enlighten the principle of material determination of forms, which Heidegger borrows from uh, Emil Lask. Heidegger expresses this principle through this statement, text number six. Acts are originated from somewhere. They are determined by something which isn't form. In this, we find the expression of the necessary correlation between the quality and the material of the act, between noises and noema, between form and content. This principle of determination of the material of each form doesn't say anything about the nature of the determining material. So it isn't yet decided, neither what kind of nature uh, the material objective aspect of the intentional revelation has, nor in which way it determines forms. Indeed, the formal aspect of meaning, that is, the act of meaning something, doesn't only serve the purpose of thematizing something through an obje objective meaning, it also has to fix that objective something in a certain way through certain determinate logical forms, namely the parts of the speech, the categories of meaning that um, Thomas von Erfurt called, calls uh, modi significandi activi. Um, 
since each modus significandi activus must originate from some properties of things, it's possible to say that forms of meaning show their own objective value through which the domain of meaning as field of reality is constituted. The constitutive categories of that field are the parts of speech. Now, text number seven, these gestalt ideas determine their reciprocal relationship on the basis of their own content. In the forms of meaning, there is an immanent regulation which rules a priori the possible interconnection of meaning, the possible form for the ordering of the concrete complexes of meaning is in the modi significandi. Because of that, the essential function of the modi significandi inside the domain of meaning is char characterized. However, these constitutive structures outline what has value only in a possible way and not in a compulsory way as it is for validity of the content in judgment. But then, What's the relationship between logic and pure grammar? If the concept logical grammar claim to assert that grammar must be deduced from logic, then there is an impossibility, text number eight. But if against this we point out an objection that false logical judgment can be expressed in a fully correct grammatical form, it must be conceded that the structure of language have meanings. And it is only with meanings that philosophical reflection begins as the effort to return by reduction to the categorical moments and to evaluate them from the standpoint of the system of the theory of categories. Here, a crucial result of the postdoctoral dissertation quietly comes out. The open space in a domain of validity, very different from the logical one, although it appears as subordinate to it um, from a constitutive angle, remains independent from it, opening the appropriate place for the philosophical reflection, for philosophy. It is only from this point of view, namely the one of the field of language, that it is possible to rethink the theory of categories in its connection with the historically living subjectivity. Indeed, in the Schulz capital of the, the conclusion of the postdoctoral dissertation, Heidegger points out that the crucial issue of the whole work is to understand the question of the categories in its connection with the sphere of subjectivity. Although not the theoretical knower subjectivity, but the historically living subjectivity, which lives in an historical age. By borrowing the notion of reflective categories from Emil Lask, Heidegger introduces the reflective character of categories through the question do the fun functional modes of the expressions, like uh, univocation, equivocation, and analogy, play a constitutive role into the sphere of meanings? Clearly, as regards the manifold modifications shown in the, in the functional modes of the expressions, the forms of, me of meaning remain identically the same. Although they're not constitutive categories, they perform a crucial task in the everyday use of language, since they're products of subjectivity that develops meanings belonging to a specific historical context, renewing the field of language. Text number nine. This createdness of the reflective categories as regards to stated roles corresponds to their origin from the use of the expressions in living thought and cognition. They are, in a certain sense, products 
of subjectivity as well. <clears throat> but on the other hand, they are, they are still objectively fixed by the objective existence of language expression, by the meanings, and by the dire direction of fulfillment. <clears throat> In other words, this special feature of these functional modes preserves the creative originality of the human being, who is able to renew his language inherited from the tradition in order to disclose new relationships inside his own world. For this reason, the main feature of the reflective categories into the field of language isn't the bare and empty identity with itself, as in last philosophy, but the richness of historical meanings inherited and renewed into the historically living subjectivity. At this point, the young Heidegger can finally draw up a new system of categories developed from the result of the, of the theory of meaning. This task of his thinking uh, will be named in 1919 Original Science of Life. But if it's true that reflective categories are correlated to, to their own material, since it is the something in general, namely the original something, uh, pre-theoretical and, and uh, pre-categorial, so they allow uh, access to the original effectiveness, which is the datum that an Urwissenschaft, the science of origin, has to elaborate. This effectiveness is given only through meanings, to the extent that language is essentially understood not as an objectifying activity, but as universal and rooted in historical life. Therefore, what originates the existence of the phenomenology is nothing but a fundamental understanding of the essence of language in its historically living origin. Text number 10. The subject of the theoretical cognition does not explain the metaphysically most meaningful sense of mind, not to mention its full content. The problem of the categories first gets its real dimension in depth and richness by incorporating this sense. The living mind as such is, according to its essence, the historical mind in the widest sense of the word. <clears throat> the originally datum of an originally science of life, namely phenomenology, isn't the theoretical something, that is the content of judgment. Rather, it's the meaning in its own vital context. It's something that means. However, it is given only in an historically concrete world. So, thanks to its essential historical temporal feature, the original power of this something is, shall we say, an opening already opened, which can be shown only through a given historical context of meaning. In this way, it is finally pointed out the fundamental reason that rules the whole movement of the Habilitationsschrift, which, which the title of my contribution expresses. The transition from the being that is valid of logic, circular theoretical science, to the being that means of the philosophy of the living mind, science of the origin, tries to understand the meaning of being in its historical temporal determination. In conclusion, we can claim that the most fundamental understanding of phenomenology, just like it's proposed by Heidegger, uh, would show the mark of a linguistic shade through which the being should reveal its own truth, that is, its historical origin.
Thank you.